So here's the question today. How did a former Pharisee who hated Christianity with all his might breathed out threats and murder against it, participated in killing the first Christian martyr, and persecuted the church violently. How did that man come to write a 7,100-word letter, about 22 pages long in our Bibles, that has changed the face of the world? And every Christian leader for 2,000 years has lit his flaming wick in it for all these centuries. How did a man like that come to write such a thing? Well, the answer is coming up as we start our new study in the epistle from the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Fill the Lamp. I'm Neil Parks. Some Bible scholars say that the book of Romans is the greatest epistle ever written. This book is the place where the gospel of Christ shines most brightly and most thoroughly in all the Bible. So why Paul? The answer is given in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Romans, where it says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, there are three phrases here, but we'll only get to one today. And I want you to see the man Paul. I want you to see his letter. And I want you to see his God. And just by the way of application, right off the bat, Sometimes you read a verse, and even before the clarification comes, it says a word to you so personally that it kind of skips over the explanation. I just have a feeling that the word that blurts itself out here is that what matters, you see, in this verse isn't about who Paul is, It's whose Paul is. Do you see that in those three phrases? He's a servant bought by another. He is a called one, called by another. And he is set apart one, set apart by another. Therefore, there is somebody else in this verse. Paul looks like He's what this verse is all about. But this verse is not about Paul. It's about the one who bought him, called him, and set him apart. There's somebody lurking behind this man. Now, in the 21st century, we get bent out of shape about self-identity and stuff like that. We focus on who we are and our worth and esteem and value and all that. But when you read the Bible, the huge issue is being in right relationship to the God to whom you belong. 
So let that be the question hanging over this verse. The first phrase is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, we religious types who have read the Bible for dozens of years, we have to realize what a shocking phrase that is. We have to decide here if this man's crazy. If he's dead, he's not the master of anybody. But Paul said, he's my master, and he's alive. I am a slave of the living Christ. So, you have to decide now at the beginning of this book, are these the rantings of a madman who thinks people die and then pop up out of the grave three days later and become masters of people? Hmm. Is he a crazy man, or did possibly that happen? That's reality, and all the people in the world to ignore that or mock that are self-delusioned. You have to decide this. These are huge issues. Is he, Paul, crazy to call himself the bond servant of Christ Jesus? And what does that mean to be a bond servant? Well, it means he's bought by Jesus, owned by Jesus, and ruled by Jesus. I'll show you where we get that in 1 Corinthians 7.23. Paul says, God bought you for himself. He paid the price for you. So do not let anyone else make you their slave. So to be a slave of somebody is to have been bought by them. So he calls himself a slave or a bond servant of Christ, which means Christ bought him. That's what he says. Christ bought me. And since he bought me, he owns me. If you're a Christian today, you are doubly owned by God. You are owned by virtue of creation, and you are owned by virtue of purchase. You are doubly not your own, doubly his. He owns you. He can do with you as he pleases, in which that means, namely, that he rules you, and all that you want to do is Please him. So where do we get that? Well, Galatians 1.10 says, Am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Question mark. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's saying, if I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I am the bondservant of Christ. Therefore, I don't give a rip about pleasing men unless my pleasing them might lead them to please my master. Wow! 
That's what Romans 15.2 is saying. Let us seek to please one another for the edification that we might glorify God through bringing others to him. So, but what's driving this man, Paul, is a radical orientation on Christ. Because Christ bought him, owns him, and rules him now. All of his thinking is, how can I please him, God? How can I honor him? How can I magnify him? So what God wants is a people who are radically orientated on pleasing Christ, honoring Christ, magnifying Christ, and letting the chips fall where they will instead of being what most people are, namely secondhand wannabes. They live their whole life in the place of a go-between always trying to get into other people's good graces and be liked and stroked and praised and complimented and paid. Wow. It's a horrible way to live. Paul says, I am owned by another. I have been bought. I am ruled. And I have one person to please, Christ. He has revealed his word to me, and that's my life. My beloved brothers and sisters, let's be like that. So we're not dealing here with a man, Paul, and his genius. Here in Romans, we're dealing with a man and his owner, his ruler, and his God. This is no ordinary letter. My listeners, there is so much more in this epistle to the Romans. But I say, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you. We come for before you seeking you, Lord, because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you. Lord, you are our purpose for being on planet Earth. We're here to bring you glory. We're here to be that bride without spot or wrinkle for eternity. Father, I lift up every listener today around the world. Father God, that they would hear your voice so very clearly that this whole life is about you and not about them. Some have it easier than others, but the bottom line is that we lift you up, that we understand that we're vessels to be used for your glory as the day approaches you're coming for us, your bride. And we pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, folks, it's been good again. And I can't wait until next time. So Maranatha, I'm Neil Parks. Neil Parks.